First Light has always made the world's best base layers. They are warm, breathable, silent, and odor-resistant. But the women's fit and the gear weren't meeting our demands, so we went back to the beginning and rebuilt everything. Re-engineering the gear with the most dedicated female hunters in mind, First Light modernized the fit and added more sizes, colors, and camo patterns. I personally have been testing the women's gear over the last couple of years, uh, from the mountains in Idaho to the plains in Nebraska, and I feel like the fit especially has landed in a much better spot. It's more true to size. It's not as tight and binding in certain areas like a lot of women's fit. Uh, all of the pieces, to me, got an all-around upgrade. It's awesome to see. So for yourself or as a gift this Mother's Day, pick up First Light's new women's merino wool and get free shipping on all orders containing women's gear. Available now at F-I-R-S-T-L-I-T-E dot com. Clean your gun and tune your bow, we're the Hunt Collective Show. Calling hunters new and old, the Hunt Collective Show. Where facts are facts and opinions are subjective, you're listening now to the Hunt Collective. Hey, everybody! Welcome to another episode of the Hunting Collective. I am Benjamin Patrick O'Brien, and I'm joined by Phil T. Engineer. Phil! Hi, Ben. Hey, we're in the studio together. Good. It's good to see you. When was the last time that this happened? I can't remember. We were with Giannis, maybe? Yeah, we did like an Ask the Eagle thing yeah, a while the ago. Eagle. It's okay. been months yeah. and months. I've seen your face. Do I look more accomplished to you? Uh, do you want the honest answer? Yes. Then yes. Yes. You look awful. <laughs> like you need a nap. Uh, I've just touched down last night from Texas, and it is officially, I'm going to need some sort of sound effect, like something really cool. It's officially turkey season. <laughs> you feeling it? There it is. I put I put the sound in. Yeah, you uh, feeling it? Yeah. No. No, I'm not. You're not feeling it. Maybe after I go turkey hunting, I'll, I will be feeling I'm, it. I wish you were with me in Texas. It was fantastic. Yeah, I, mean, I saw I saw many many Instagram comments. Yeah, where's Phil? People confused and upset that I wasn't there. Yeah. <laughs> and I wonder for like the rest of my hunting career, every time I post something about hunting, people are like, "Where's Phil? Why is yeah, he not with well, you? Why aren't you mentoring Phil? Why aren't you mentoring Phil? He's out somewhere, not being mentored by yeah. you, and you're out hunting." Uh, to you know, official press release style, Phil uh, did not go with me. Would you have? I, I no Ben. No, you would okay, not for, for the people that did comment, Ben did extend me an invite. I did, but it's it was just it was like only a week and it was like a week yeah. in advance, and you know when I've got a, I've got a family and kids yeah. and daycare situations, and it's just it's hard Can't to organize it. something that Can't last minute. But Ben did invite me, so yeah. thank you, Ben. No, no problem. I did not join. I wish you had come. It yeah. was it was tremendous. Uh, shout out to to Greg and Casey and to Marshall who let me hunt a place. Uh, a new ranch, I guess we hunted Friday and Saturday, a new little property I'd never seen, um, in a wonderful little, I mean, it was like idyllic, Phil. It was idyllic. It was like green grass, it was like six, eight inch, really like fluorescent green grass, a lot of open timber for turkeys to eat bugs and just, you know, gobble and open meadows, a lot of edge ground, like tall, tall trees for them to roost in. It was kind of unbelievable. And uh, I killed Beardzilla. You saw a picture of Beardzilla? I did. <clears throat> now his his 
for everybody that were was at that uh, guessed how long his beard was on my, on my Instagram page, it was eleven inches flat. Do you know that's good, Phil? I don't. That's amazing. Okay. I don't know. <laughs> it sounds long. I don't know what the longest. Let me Google like longest turkey beard ever. But uh, it's it's gonna be way longer than eleven inches. But that's the longest. Let's see what it says. Whoa. Cody May of New Boston holds the possible world record for the longest bearded turkey ever. The bird has a 22 and a half inch beard. 22 and a half inches. He's dragging on the ground? Yeah. It's called, it's called a rope. Mm-hmm. Rope dragger. There's a lot of different names for, for spurs and, and beards on turkeys, but that's 11 inches is the biggest one I've ever killed. So I'm going to make a little broom out of it for my office. I'll come sweep, sure. it, sweep off your, uh-huh. I'll sweep off your buttons here. Oh, thanks. With it, so no problem. That'll be nice. But yeah, he came. He flew down. We were doing a little uh, shout out again to Marshall Seerdorf from Texas. He works at Force of Nature Meach. Remember them? Oh yeah, of course. They're awesome. Um, we were hunting together. We sat up. There was eight gobblers. Phil, eight. As far as I could tell. And a gobbler is a turkey. As a turkey. A male turkey. I thought, you know, a lot of times you can tell the difference between a Jake gobble and a Tom gobble. Mm -hmm. Tom being a mature turkey, two years old and older. A Jake being a one-year-old. Because a a Jake's gobble is kind of like he's he's trying to, like if you were like, what's up, man? Like you're trying to sound serious. Yeah. But a Tom's gobble has this extra depth to it. Sure. So the, you can, the, if you listen to enough of them, you can tell. The Tom went through puberty yeah. in the eighth grade, and his voice has dropped. Yes. Yes. And the J. So, so we set up, I'd say about 200 yards from a roost. And I've been saying the night before over a few beverages that I did. I thought the best time to turkey on Phil was 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Yes, you fir- have said this. I've said this. The first turkey I killed down in South Texas with my buddy DJ the day before, we literally just sat and didn't move. And I told him, dude, if we sit here till 10, I think we'll kill a turkey. So we sat in a spot where I knew the turkeys wanted to be. We sat there. It was 9.45 and my ass was anxious. I was like, dude, let's get out of here. Let's go walk around. I stood up. I stretched out. I was like, ah, I don't know, man. I don't know. We haven't heard a, we haven't heard a gobble. We had a couple of hens come by. And I was like, oh, I don't know. Evan. We should just go. Let's go call. Just walk around. We're just going to walk around. We're going to find a turkey. And then I told myself, no, no. You sit the fuck back down mm. and you wait. Oh. Do what you said you were going to do. And I sat back down, Phil, 15 minutes later. There it is. There it is. Came. A couple. I worked him. He started off probably three, 400 yards away. Came down to Sendero, cut it off, straight into our little setup. And then he died. Didn't, hadn't heard a gobble all day until 9.55 in the a.m. Right at my cutoff time. Yeah. And I shot him at 10.07. Right in my cutoff time. So that's the biggest thing that you'll you'll find, which is this is what we found on our, our next hunt where I killed the second turkey, is that you're, it's sit and get or run and gun. Have we talked about this before? We talked about this with Tony Peterson a little bit last yeah, week. Yeah. Yeah. I think we went over it a little bit. Or maybe that was with Preston Pittman on Steve's podcast. It's I don't all remember, running but together I've, for I've, you. I've heard, I've heard about it. This is the Different ultimate methods. turkey philosophy philosophical really debate mm. is is do i sit and wait or do i run and go do i go and find this turkey i call it trolling for turkeys because you can just you you basically in, in the case of texas you could just walk a sendero or walk a road walk a couple hundred yards call 
response, nothing. Walk 200 more yards, call, response, nothing. You're kind of covering, think of it as a bullseye. You start in the middle, you kind of work out. So you're covering an area with your, you know, with, with your calls. See if you get a response. Or you could sit in a place where they, you know they want to be or you know they're going to pass through. And you've got that extra advantage that they want to be where you already are. So in this case, the first turkey I shot. Which, which method have, have you found more success in? Because yeah. we it about sounds like to me, I feel like I'm the kind of impatient person with other things that I yeah. would want to like be moving around and do like feel like I'm doing something. Yeah. Like I, I will actively take a detour yes. in, on, in a town or like a highway, even if I like, let's say that there's, there's a way where there's traffic. Got it. And you'll still probably get through it quick, like more quickly than if you went on the detour. But I'll take the detour just because it feels like I'm moving. You're doing something. I'm doing something. You're it might take things. me 20 more minutes to get You're where I'm going. Things. You're seeing things. Exactly. <laughs> you know, I, I um, you have to, first you got to think like, what is the, what kind of day is it? The, on the first turkey I shot, it was a jury day, a little windy. The birds had, the day before I called in a Tom, a big old Tom and his hen, to about three yards behind me. And I worked that turkey. I called him right in behind. He came through this ridiculous mesquite brush. Came right up behind me. Couldn't get a shot. He would gobble his way off into the distance. And I called him back like 45 minutes later. In that case, and in the in the case before, I knew there wasn't a lot of turkeys around. This ranch we were hunting, the, the ranch manager told us they had such uh, a rough time with the big storm down in Texas, the, the big cold front that moved through. And they had so little water over the last couple of years that that their turkey populations were way down. So I knew we were hunting a limited number of times. And I also knew where there was one big creek where they all hung out. So if we lined ourselves up on this creek and we just sat in a place where a turkey would want to cross, if we sat there all day, that turkey was going to come through. But that is hard to do for a lot of people. It's hard to do for me. Because I just like, I know they're, I know it's down in that creek. If I just bomb down in that creek, make a few calls, come out, shoot him in the face. Mm-hmm. But in that case, it was like there's not a lot of turkeys, so if you bump one, you're kind of screwed. Because you bump one, that's you know, that's nine turkeys you can hunt instead of ten for that day. Because we bumped them out of the roost one day, and it pretty much turned out to be that. So that there was a factor. But I think the 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 biggest factor is what kind of day is it? Are they goblin? Are they aggressive? If they're aggressive, you can be aggressive. If there's not a lot of talking happening, if they're not goblin, if they're not responding, if you're not seeing a lot of movement then it's time to sit and wait. And at some point, it might just be that the sun hits a certain See, it's meta. funny because the way you're explaining it, I th- I would think it would be the opposite. Like if, if they were out there calling and being aggressive, then I it would kind of make me want to just sit like, yeah. and park. But, it, like, but if I wasn't hearing anything, I wasn't seeing any movement, that's when I would want wanna, to yeah. like get up and try to go to them. Yeah, and I, again, this is a, a philosophical debate that I think all turkey hunters will have for, for the rest of time. <laughs> My buddy Jeff Johnson, who was a writer for NRA, American Hunter, when I worked there, wrote an article called Sit and Get a Run and Gun that, that was, was by far the best evaluation of this idea. But I, you know, I don't know. I think you just got to have to have been there. But I will just say this. There's no replacing being in an area where a turkey wants to be. There's no replacing it. Whether or not you run and gun to get to that spot or whether you determine the pattern the turkey has been traveling and get there, there's no better there's no better tactic than to be in the place they want to be. Yeah, which I think goes back to something that Jim Heffelfinger has recently said on the Meat Eater podcast, which is that like these turkeys have schedules. They, they have do. like yes. certain places yes. they want to go throughout the day. They might not get there at like the exact same time every day, but 
they will get there eventually. So yeah. if you know that a turkey is going to show up somewhere, if he has, if he's done it, you've seen him do it a couple of times, he'll do it again. Yeah. You might have to wait for a while, but he'll do it again. Well, and that's the first turkey that we killed was exactly that. You know, I had seen these turkeys about 945 the prior day in this little meadow, this little clearing. I'd seen them there. I watched them. I glassed them up. There was a two hens and a gobbler, and they were just, just pecking around, feeding. And he would strut a little bit. They would kind of, you know, they were just doing turkey shit in this little meadow. And I knew that what they would do is fly down from the roost. We bumped them off the roost like idiots that first morning. So they changed their pattern. But I knew that they wanted to fly down off the roost, strut around in the road, get, you know, be seen. And then when the heat of the midday, they'd go down in the creek in the shade, feed, find some tall grass, some cool, cool place to be. Then they work down that creek all the way to this meadow. That's what they do. So if, once you know that, then you can make the call to what you want to do. You can go right to the roost tree and try to call them down. They pitch down the road, boom, shoot them in the face. Or you can tuck yourself in the creek and try to get them to come by that way. Or you can ultimately just go to the place you know where they're going to be because that's, again, that's a destination, whereas the rest of that stuff, you're trying to manipulate them and to do something that they probably wouldn't do otherwise, right? Whether it's a, a slight change in their pattern or to them, it's a big change. You're trying to call them to you, right? So that's you just have to read the situation. But in in, in the case of that, the first turkey I shot, it was just like, oh, I was talking to a couple buddies down there. We were talking about this. I want to move. Like when I sit down, and I'm there for an hour. I'm like, dude, I can find these turkeys. I know where they're at. I'm gonna find them. I know. I can do it. I've got the confidence. I can go find these turkeys and get them to, get it done. But um, ultimately, if you want to be successful, I think you stay put more often. I'll probably change that opinion next week, <laughs> but it depends on where you're hunting too and how much knowledge you have. If you have no knowledge of the area you're hunting, it's hard to get a read on what the turkeys are doing. You got to move because. But if you have it, you know exactly if the turkeys playbook is pretty easily read you kind of have to um read it and listen to what they're telling you and go where they want to be but anyway that second turkey that i shot beardzilla he didn't have a 22 inch beard but a man could dream but anyway he was roosted and this is one of the first times i've seen this and i and again i was around the fire with a bunch of a bunch of guys drinking a little bit talk about my 9 to 11 theory all right it had been buttressed by the prior turkey hunt where I shot the bird at 10.07. So I'm like, you don't even need to go out in the morning. Don't go out in the morning. Whatever, sleep in. Like, it's 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. You're going to kill a turkey. Well, the next morning we get up. We go out. We find these birds roosted there. It's like I said, probably five to eight gobblers and a couple of jakes and a couple of hens all roosted together. So we sit down about 200 yards. We put our decoys out. It's pitch dark. Gobble, just a gobble fest. Boom, 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 everywhere. And so we start, we threw some hen yelps. Marshall, my buddy's doing some calling. Threw some hen yelps at them, which I would normally wouldn't do when they're on the roost like that. You can do tree yelps, which is kind of a softer, hey, I'm waking up yelp. But in this case, there was hens, the hens that were roosted were were lighting up. They were yelping. Yep, 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 yep. So we started yelping a little bit. They're gobbling. Beardzilla decides, I believe, to fly down out of the tree in the dark to beat these other toms to the punch to the, you know get some action. Flies down out of the tree. Marshall goes, "There's a turkey in the field." I'm like, dude, it's dark. 
why is it in the field? I look and I see this white head. It's like 120 yards. I see this white head in the darkness. I put my binos up I'm like, holy shit, there's a turkey in the field. It's 15, 20 minutes before daylight. And he just strutted his way, crossed the fence, and just never broke strut. Just spitting and drumming. I don't think he ever gobbled. He just kept coming, coming, coming. And he was so close when I first saw him, my shotgun was leaning against my hip and the barrel was in the grass. And so normally when it when a turkey comes, Phil, I'm gonna tell you, like, get your get your gun up and be like mounted and ready to go. Wait for him. In this case, I wasn't ready to go at all, and I had a bunch of cover we I had set to my left, which is where the turkeys were gobbling. Well, this turkey, let's say the the all my cover was from like eleven o'clock to six o'clock. Well, this kid, this turkey came at noon. He was coming right straight ahead of me. I had basically no cover between him and I, and he was coming right. The decoys were between me and him, and he kept coming, just strutting. So I was like, well, I'm basically going to have to keep this shotgun on the ground, and whenever I want to shoot him, he's either going to have to be, I'm going to have to raise my gun up when he turns around and then kill him, or I'm gonna, he's going to probably run when I put my gun up, and I'm going to have to shoot him while he's turning to leave. He got right to the decoys. And I waited, waited, waited. He just would not turn. He just kept looking at the decoys, going back and forth. I was like, all right, screw it. So I threw my shotgun up. I don't even think I got it to my shoulder. And pulled the trigger, and he was already turning to run, shot in the back of the head. Dead. Beardzilla. Gone. And it was 7.10 in the a.m. And uh, so my theory, Phil, that the best turkey hunting happens between 9 and 11 is either complete horseshit or uh, there are exceptions. So, cool. Is that exciting to you? Can you feel my like pure? Yeah, I don't know if it's the, uh, the yerba mate. It ain't or the turkeys, but Ben is I'm, vibrating right dude, now. <laughs> I'm. It's just the lifeblood. I I was telling the guys we were with that uh, it's just everything is better when it when you have success. The turkey woods. I don't want to make it seem like everything is better when you kill something. It's not that, but it like we said. Hunting has a game-like quality, and when you win the game, fuck, it feels good. It feels real good. So hopefully you get that feeling, Phil. Yeah. I'll do my best. I'll do my best for you. But I, yeah, so that was three and a half days of turkey hunting, two big turkeys, bunch of meat. My boy and I this morning woke up early and started cleaning all the meat up, vacuum seal it, put it in the freezer, turkey nuggets tomorrow night, Phil. I'll bring some in for you if you'd like. Oh, hell yeah. And then we're going to, if anybody has any ideas, THC at TheMedia.com, what we want to do for cutting these babies up and cooking them up. If you have anything you'd like to see on the Instagram, let me know and we'll do it. Uh, but that, yeah, that was my Texas turkey hunt. It has begun, Phil. It has begun. So if you haven't read The 10th Legion yet, have you? I have not. Damn it. <laughs> You have roughly a month. I'm sure it'll be like the night before we go out. I'll like <laughs> like I read the first two it. chapters. <laughs> I read the first two chapters. All right. Well, listen, I was a procrastinator in high school and college. Uh, you know, I did all right. <laughs> I, I, I was a stay up until 4 a.m. the uh, the morning that the papers do kind of guy. Yes. Yeah. Well, all right. Well, moving on. We, we got a lot to get to. I'm sure that was a long-winded turkey story. I just meant to mention that I had killed some turkeys. Um, but now here we are. 20 minutes later. Um, so sorry about that. Next thing. THC chapters, Phil. Have you be, have you uh, logged into Facebook yet? You know, I have, and I've done some lurking. Have you? I have been lurking. The Montana chapter folks are have been, have been asking about you, like, where is Phil? 
<laughs> they, they're looking. Every person that joins the Montana chapter, they're looking for you. So. Okay, well, keep an eye out. Maybe Do I'll... you have a burner account? I do, you... yeah. Can, you're not going to share what it is? Well, I mean, once I join, everyone's going to see. <laughs> That's why <laughs> I've only Mango, been Mango the Engineer? What? No, so I didn't go with Mango, but I chose a very generic picture of like uh-huh. a mountain at the end of a highway oh, on so the horizon. This will be a game, like find Phil the Engineer. <laughs> exactly. But my name, I put it Phil, and my last name is T-E. Phil T-E. Phil T-E. Let me just say this. Let's just do this. <laughs> could you change, could you create a, a more uh, encoded version of a burner account that people will have to find and figure out? Maybe. I don't know how let how often they let you change your name. I don't think it's very oh, often. Yeah. I might have to wait like a month or something. Right. I don't know. I'll see if I can. Phil is going to create a burner. Uh-huh. Uh, if Facebook executives are listening, a lot of them, I think Zuckerberg listens. It'll just be like Rick Johnson and it'll be like yeah. like a, a camo. It's like going to be a camo it's pattern gonna be, in yeah. my profile picture. It's going to be something. <laughs> Phil will, will leave breadcrumbs for you to f- figure out that it's him. Yeah. He's going to join one chapter and if you f- if if the chapter leader or somebody in the chapter figures out it's Phil, <laughs> I will shower you with THC gifts. It's called Find the Find Phil. Find Phil. It's a new contest we just came up with live yeah, on the air. There's going to be some Illuminati style clues I'm going to leave in, in, in my posts yeah. and stuff. You'll have to figure it out. Yeah, it's I've been watching be this QAnon documentary. It's going to be just like that. They got the cicada thing going <laughs> not, on. Not just like that. Close. <laughs> uh, all right. Let's see. Michael, now, is it Knaus? K N A U S S. That's Knaus. No, it's now. I think the, the K is definitely silent. No. Yeah, Knaus. Knaus? Or Nausi. Is it two S's and an E? No, it's just two S's. Probably Nous. All right, Michael Knaus. He's our leader from New Mexico. He made Phil. Did I share this to you, Phil? Check it out. Yep. Yeah, you showed me. <laughs> Describe what you're seeing right now. Uh, it's almost like a, like a Patrick Bateman style it's a business, business card. card. Business card. Yes, yeah. with... Uh, the Hunting Collective logo. Yeah, it says the Hunting Collective New Mexico chapter. I won't read out his phone number or email. Um, he's it says New Mexico chapter leader, and then it says THC New Mexico Facebook.com slash groups slash THC New Mexico. And so he he wrote on our little uh, Facebook chapter admin page. I decided to make some business cards to hand out to people I come across and start talking to. Just thought it was a rather inexpensive but still a nice way of creating a flyer, a way to get people to my group. Pretty badass. All these things make me chuckle because they're just so uh, – our folks in the in the actual cult chapters are very innovative and very excited and are uh, growing our little chapters in amazing ways and with great passion. I just received an email from Doug Duran this morning. Uh, lauding the Wisconsin chapter for their growth uh, thus far. And so I'm excited to report on that. Now let me find, I'm going to find the last update that someone posted to where we are in terms of, we're over a thousand uh, members, Phil. Did you ever think we'd get there? Never. But I've always underestimated you before, so yeah, I apologize. Don't underestimate me, you son of a bitch. Uh, let's see. We got, yeah. Leading the way right now, California has been leading the way from the beginning, but in, uh, of the last update here, it's listed as Q2 2021 in the spreadsheet. I think Patrick Ray made this from Alabama. Uh, California leading the way, 477, Phil. California leading the way. Wow. 477. Montana has shot up the leaderboard to number two with 173. 
One of those is Phil's burner account. (laughs) (laughs) And Colorado, 139. Arizona, 117. Wisconsin, 135. Uh, Washington, 104. Well done, everyone. Well done. A few have zero. Hawaii, Illinois, Mississippi, Nevada. Texas has zero. Sad days. Sad days for those places. But get in. We're not looking to grow this here cult, all that. We're not trying to grow it just for the sake of numbers. We want to slowly, methodically uh, bring people in that are that really want to come share in this hunting thing, Phil. I'm excited. We're going to keep having some folks on on the show to talk about this. Like I said, Nuri Hong in California. A.B. Rich has been blowing it up. Uh, Patrick Ray, Riley Nelson. All you guys out there that we call chapter leaders, uh, thank you. And one thing before we get, we got Sam Sohol coming on. Remember him? Of course I do. Public land bus. <sighs> one of my favorite people in the world. He's got a new conservation initiative we're going to be talking about just now coming up. Um, but before we get to that, I've got uh, Newman Landa wrote in. He said, I just wanted to share my 10-year-old's project that he's doing for his class. They were tasked with making a presentation that demonstrates opinion writing. My son, Jack, chose to talk about hunting and conservation. Attached is the draft he just sent me. I've gotten with him to spruce it up a bit, but I wanted you to see it in its raw form. It was pretty impressive. Just wanted you to see your young fans are fighting the good fight and guarding the gate in elementary schools. Hope you enjoy now. I hope this is okay with Jack, but I'm going to try to read most. I'm going to read it all. Ready, Phil? Typos and everything? I hope so. I don't think, I don't, I hope there isn't any type. I read the first little bit of it. It's maybe, I mean, look at, look at me. I'm just being, I'm, I'm underestimating everyone. Maybe yeah. this, this would you like to apologize to Jack? I, I'm sorry, Jack. I would love to apologize hear Apologize to Jack. <laughs> all right. Hunting. hunting. Why hunting is good for wildlife. There's a picture of a mule deer and a turkey on there. It says, Why hunting is good for the conservation. When a hunter kills an animal, Yes, he or she is taking a life, but he or she has also just helped conservation because when an animal is shot by a hunter, there's one less animal to eat all the other grass or seeds or even other animals. So whenever most people hear that an animal was just shot, they're probably thinking, oh no, an animal was just killed. And now that a species will probably become extinct soon. But what they should think of is an animal is just shot and now there's more food for all the other animals. Also, when you go hunting, you have to buy a tag. The tag is so whenever you kill an animal, you put the tag on it, and there are only a few tags, so you don't overhunt an animal. Tags are also for another thing. When you buy the tags, the money that you buy the tags with goes towards the wildlife and conservation. So that is how hunting helps conservation. What do you think, Phil? You know how you were going to buy out those billboards in San Francisco? Yeah. We, you should still do that, but then just put that on the just billboard. Just put Jack on there. There you go. Yep. There's more. You want to hear more? Sure. <laughs> the history of hunting. Over two million years ago, cavemen started to hunt, and they didn't hunt for the fun of it. They hunted to survive, and if they didn't get anything, they wouldn't eat that day. But over the centuries, people have become smarter. They have learned how to farm and how to cook, and when the first refrigerator came out in the 1840s, people didn't need to eat right away. Around the 1600s, people made laws on when, where, how, and what animal you kill and hunt. Over the, over the decades, people have started hunting just for the pleasure of it, but also a lot of people still hunt for fun and to get meat in the refrigerator. He brought it back to the refrigerator there at the end. Yeah. I like what he's doing. Also throughout the years, poachers have been made, and often people mistake poachers for hunters, which is 100% true. Um, conc- I just go to the conclusion. 
Um, because he does a whole thing about uh, the difference between hunting and poaching, which is very well. But the conclusion, in conclusion, I think that you should have a different opinion on hunting now. I'm not saying you need to start hunting. I'm just saying you should appreciate hunters more for the things they do, like helping conservation. The end. Jack. Fantastic. Great. Well done. Yep. Well done, Jack. Uh, in all seriousness, this is uh, about as good as I could do, if not better. Oh, yeah. And, it had uh, a Definitely better than Phil. Very clean introduction. Yeah. You had those those middle paragraphs with, then, with, with your arguments. And conclusion. And your conclusion, bringing it all home. So, I, if uh, listen, Newman, if Jack somehow doesn't get an A-plus on this, you write in and you let me know. <laughs> and I'll, I'll t- whoever this teacher is, this elementary school teacher... We'll, we'll take him to task. We'll let the THC Facebook chapters take care of it. <laughs> we'll take care of it. <laughs> Don't worry. We'll rough them up. All right. Now, from one uh, budding conservationist to a hardened one, now we're going to listen to my buddy, Sam Sobel. Sam Sohalt! What's up, What's up buddy? buddy? How you doing, man? I'm doing great. How are you doing? Yeah, oh, I'm doing. I'm doing fantastic. You look good. You've been doing like a workout. You told me. Yeah, like I have a, been. Tell me about this workout. I got to get in turkey shape. Is there turkey shape? Is that a thing that sitting on by a tree? Is that the thing you need to get in shape for? <laughs> I mean, I guess I haven't perused like Instagram or anything, but there's got to be somebody out there with like. I mean, there's every other fit. Like you know, there's there's got to be like turkey fit. Like somebody is with there that like a, out there. There's elk fit, right? Elk shape. Yeah. Elk fit. Elk shape. Was there elk fit and elk shape? Uh, probably and yep. then uh whitetail fit and there's that yep i guess turkey I fit. Tur- turkey fit would just be fit. like yeah eating nuggets and sitting against a tree that's what you do yeah 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 go through the chick-fil-a drive-through and then get your nuggets and go sit by a tree and eat them <laughs> turkey fit yeah turkey fit so, yeah right, well depending good. on where you hunt turkeys i mean you kind of got to be in at least pretend shape it's true it, <laughs> Yeah, hunting where you do in South Dakota and, and the tur- we were just talking about the turkey tour um, a little bit, but South Dakota, Montana, Wyoming, Nebraska, where where I'm going to be uh, Saturday. Are you coming to join us? Are you coming with us? I won't make it to the hills, but uh, I might be able to sneak in for a couple days in Nebraska. Okay, good. You've just uh, live on the air. You've you promised that you're going to be there. You sneak <laughs> it. You sneak the hell over there. We need. I you. will. Yeah, I'll do my best. Okay. Um, but that country, man, you're up and down a good bit. Yeah. It, it depends. Phil and I just had a, a big conversation about run and gun or sit and get. Do you have any philosophies, turkey philosophies that, that start or end with sitting and staying in one spot or getting up and running around like a crazy person? I mean, I'm probably the same as most people where you try to get as close to the roost as you can, where you're, mm-hmm. you know, you're in on them tight early, but then the rest of the day, you know, I'm typically, you know, unless I find a spot where it has like a ton of like really fresh scratch, scratching yeah. or, you know, sign, um, I'm typically doing run and gun type stuff the rest of the day, trying to get something just to, to gobble back and try to, you know, make a play on something. Yeah. I mean, it, that's certainly the most fun anyway. It is the most fun. I, we were just talking a lot about if you can pattern turkey, which in the West is a lot of times hard to do. You just mm-hmm. a big chunk of public land and you find a bird, you don't have time take pattern to sit and watch the turkey and, and see where it's going to go or pattern them. And you probably don't know enough about the landscape. 
if you're just, you know, walking into a piece of public and trying to find a bird, you don't know enough about that landscape to understand how that turkey is going to use that terrain. Yeah, it's different um, than, you know, having a chunk of land that you've hunted for however many years and you know, like typically they're going to roost in this area or this mm-hmm. tree. You know, it's a little little bit different. But um, I think over the years you could probably figure out a pattern, like if you have like a consistent roost like area or region or like little pocket. But, man, it's tough. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the argument, I'll see what you think about this. We, I've come to believe in the sit, sit and get and run and gun debate that if you know where a turkey wants to be, even if even if this is what we were doing in Texas, even if you know where they're going to roost and you pull off three, 400 yards or find that meadow, you know they're going to want to be in once they get, mm-hmm. once they fly down. Yep. That's a more sure bet than it is trying to cha- call them in and change their pattern. I agree. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But like you said, a lot of times you don't have that knowledge. And if you don't have that knowledge, you got to run a gun. Yeah. Now we got to teach Phil all this, man, because Phil, he's got a month till his first hunt. So is he going to be on the, is he going to be on the turkey tour? No, he's not allowed to, to travel away from home. Oh. We've got him pretty much chained to the studio. Okay. Uh, <laughs> well, no, we're going to hunt, we're going to hunt the first week. We're going to hunt the first week of May. Uh, Phil is like a, a paid indentured servant. Pretty <laughs> much, yeah. We feed. I mean, we feed him. He's healthy. <laughs> That's good. But he can't. He can't like go more than a few hours away from the office, oh, and man. he'll often get called back by Ranella. You know, he yeah. has like one of them little shock up. Get it? Yeah. Shock him. Bring him back to the yeah. studio. But anyway, that's what we're excited for around here. Let tell everybody your uh, your turkey uh, events for this spring. Yeah. It, uh, let's see. I've got South Dakota. North Dakota. I'm a North Dakota resident now, so first tag in North Dakota. That should be kind of fun. Uh, but yeah, North Dakota, South Dakota, Nebraska, Montana, and then uh, potentially Minnesota. So I'm not right, I'm not traveling, you know, too far this year. Too many crazy states or anything, but um, going to be able to get out and get after it. I'm definitely focused on. I got my wife's got a tag. Try to get her a bird. My dad's nice. got a tag. Try to get him a bird. Uh, Chris Ellis, who you know. Yes. He's actually flying out. We're going to go chase turkeys together at some point. So, um, yeah, be be good. Chris Ellis, fantastic human. Yeah. Um, yeah, have fun with that guy. But oh, yeah. you refresh my memory on last year. I I certainly had a tough turkey year last year when COVID kind of crushed mm-hmm. my dreams for Turks. Um, How did you do last year? Do you feel like this is any redemption for you? Because for me, when I shot that first turkey in Texas, I felt amazing. I felt like I had been through something. I, you know, I actually ended up having a pretty good year. I didn't go nearly as many places I had originally planned. Like you couldn't mm-hmm. buy a tag in Nebraska, yeah. uh, Kansas, you had to quarantine for 14 days. I mean, there was all these like stipulations on stuff, but I had a pretty good year. I shot four birds last year, you know, helped another three people get birds. So it was, it was fun. You know, I got to be part of seven, seven turkey hunts, successful turkey hunts last spring. Yeah. So I'm, I was lucky. Do you think I'm ever going to get my goal of 10 in one year? Have you, you killed two already, haven't you? Yeah, I've got two. I mean, that's you're doing I'm, pretty good. I'm feeling it. I'm feeling it. I feel like I've got a shot. I've got. I was talking about how many tags do you have in Montana? Well, I only bought three, but I can buy two more. Right. I've got one in South Dakota, one in Wyoming, and two in Nebraska. But I can get a third. Yep. And so conceivably, I don't have to leave the West, and I can get my ten. Yeah. But I've been. Uh, Man, I, I don't know. I've got some backups. If it gets to like the end of May, are you gonna like travel to those states where like I think Michigan has like, typically yeah. a couple days in June? Um, Wisconsin is my spot. Yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, I haven't told Doug during this. We have talked about it, but I haven't told Doug does it. But I'm going to go looked? to his farm. Have you looked yeah. to see if there's any leftover tags? There is. Uh, in Wisconsin, I think you can. I don't know how many birds you can shoot in Wisconsin, but it's not. It's not a small number. Well, so it's it's typically uh, you can shoot as many as you want as long as you have the tags. But uh, mm-hmm. I know that there are way fewer leftover tags this year. There were like sixteen thousand more people that put in for turkey Son tags in Wisconsin this spring. Of a bitch. So all right, well, I may be screwed. I may be screwed. <laughs> My backups may maybe, but I mean, I you know, I know I can get a tag in Idaho, um, yeah. Oregon. I'm I know I can get a tag unless it's a, a similar situation. So I think I could. In the West, if I was like one short, I would just get I would just get real inventive with what I could do in the West. But yeah, uh, I can conceivably get real close, and then you know I just need a little extra levers to pull to get to yeah. the ten number. Well, maybe and, I can uh, call it. You know, if I if I am able to get out to Nebraska with you, maybe I can call one in for you again, dude. I'm I. This is this is exactly the the equation that I want. I'm happy to call in birds for other people and call in my own birds. But I'm also happy to have somebody do all the calling, dude. I'm not. Yep. There's no ego in it for me. I love when you call that bird in for me, and, and I spooked it. Somebody, well, we spooked it, <laughs> we and then called it, it back and in called again. It again. Yeah, that was great. Yeah, and I killed it. I did that in Texas. Uh, yeah, last week's had a bird come into three yards, gobbling his head off, spitting and drumming like right behind my head. Basically, mm-hmm. he gobbles his way off. It kind of. I, I think he knew something was up. Not quite understanding. Called him back into sixty yards two or three more times. I think. Yeah. And never just never got a shot, but uh, those are those are the fun times when you know there's a bird that that that's that fired up that you can pretty much yeah put them on a string and just kind of pull them back in whenever you feel like it. Yeah, I think that's He's, uh, one of my favorite things, and I learned this from hunting with like Aaron Warbritton and whatever. But like, mm-hmm. you call a bird in, they don't quite come into range, and you just let them wander off, and then you go to where they came and gobbled and call, mm-hmm. and then they just oh. come ripping right back in because they're like, oh, I, I did call up a hen, you know. Yeah. <laughs> that's a good hot tip that's a really good hot tip i've done that before not even thinking about yeah. it in that way but just kind of like getting closer cut the distance but it's that's that's a really good point yeah that's an yeah that's a great point yeah i've used that uh tactic several times now and it's amazing um like what we did it on your bird in, in south dakota a couple of years back where I called yeah. him up and then he came up and kind of gobbled on this little ridge and then went off and then we went to where he was and did this you know and then he came right back up so came right back up yeah yeah, and, it, and again, if you're able to, if he sees something he doesn't like, you're able to 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 know. Okay, this turkey, he's he's committed, but he's also not. I mean, he's not brainless. Right. Some of these, this, this turkey I killed in Texas uh, a couple of days ago, he was he was fairly brainless. Yeah. <laughs> he just <laughs> flew down off the roost. He flew down off the roost when it was dark and came in to beat his other uh, buddies to the punch. I feel, <laughs> and so he just. There was kind of any you could have done just about anything to him, yeah. and I think he probably would have came back in. Yeah. Certainly didn't give him that chance, but you know it's it's again just reading that turkey. But that's a good hot tip, man. Uh, Aaron Warburton of of the hunting public. That's that's yeah. if anybody got anything from listening to two hours of me talk this week, is Sam Soholt's hot tip via Aaron. <laughs> uh, that's that's another one. Do you it, it, hunting in South Dakota and hunting other places? Do you find that you that your strategies are different? from state to state, from terrain to terrain? And have you kind of codified that in your mind where you know, like, I'm going to go here and do this. You know, I'm, I'm hunting Iowa, cornfields, I'm going to do this. I'm going to set up a pop-up line or I'm hunting South Dakota and I'm just going to walk around. I probably haven't like broke it down into state by state, but I'm guessing, you know, there's definitely tendencies like depending on where I'm going. Uh, yeah. You know, if I'm hunting 
stuff where there's like going to be egg, where I know like turkeys are probably going to at least head to and scratch um, and, and eat and whatever. Like, you know, you probably use that to my advantage if I know I can cut them off. Like if there's like a, okay, they roost in that little cottonwood stand there, but I know that they're going to be working their way to this egg field because it's the only egg in, you know, the whole area. Um, like I'll, I'll bring that into, but I mean, most of the places I hunt are so wide open, like that I'm either like trying to sneak into where I think they're going to fly down to. Um, (laughs) and then if that doesn't happen, then I'm looping way around trying to cut them off on the way to something. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, unfortunately I'd like to do more of it. I haven't done a ton of big, like big woods hunting. Um, did a little bit back in spring of 2019 and I I had a blast with it. Like I was honestly had more fun doing that. Like, you know, sneaking around in big oak ridges and stuff. And, um, yeah. Yeah. Mature timber. Right. Yeah. We were, I was talking to the guys at at FHF, the bino harnesses and chest rigs. And and I was asking, you know, how much, let's make a product for turkeys, which Mm -hmm. they are making some inserts for their chest rig. I don't don't know if I'm breaking news on that, but that's what they're doing. (laughs) Uh, Sorry guys, if I'm breaking the PR release on that one. Um, we're, and we were talking about using bino harnesses for turkey hunting. Mm-hmm. And they were saying, listen, a lot of guys just don't use binos for turkeys. And I thought, that's weird because, man, I use them as much as much as any other pursuit. I guess I'm thinking, I'm not sitting in glassing all the time, but I'm using them all the time in the turkey woods. Yeah. Have you, and I imagine, I guess then I started thinking, well, maybe if you're hunting in big timber in the east or in the south, and you're in a situation where you just literally can't see that far, mm-hmm. um, and you're calling turkeys through this thick timber where you you really don't have a chance to get a look. I, I guess I could see it then, but you, I mean, you're you're carrying binos every turkey hunt, aren't you? Oh yeah, every time. There was yeah. one. There was one hunt uh, three years ago that I didn't have binos, and the entire time I was like, oh, I just yeah. wish I had my binos. Feel naked, yeah. Yeah, yeah, feel naked. Yeah, so no, I use them all the time, uh, turkey hunt. But again, like you said, like I hunt pretty wide open stuff. So like anytime I see a black spot out in the field or whatever, you know, I'm like constantly like if I'm ripping around like trying to scout, I'm definitely using them all the time. But even when I'm hunting, I'm using them a lot um, early in the season. You know, because it's not so thick, like I can glass up birds on the roost and sneak into them. Um, so yeah. Yeah, that's another thing. Glassing up birds. I mean, you're going to capture more light in a pair of ten by forty twos than, but you know, to, to see one, you want to be able to see with the naked eye that there's birds roost. So you want to see, is it a tom? Is it a Jake? Is it a hen? Yep. You need to. You need that definition. You need to have those. So if, if there's folks out there that aren't carrying binos, uh, shame on you. <laughs> What's wrong with you? <laughs> you should be weirdos. <laughs> you should be. Um, I wanted to do this with you. I want to try to do this with everybody here in the future, but top. How many turkey states do you feel like you've you've filled a tag? How many states do you feel like you've took? I was trying to count the other day, and I got to about 13 or 14. Oh, I'm not even close to that. Yeah. Uh, let's see. I'm like seven or eight, maybe. Seven or eight? Yeah. That's, that's pretty good. Yeah. I feel like that's way more than most folks. Yeah, it's not too bad. Most folks are probably at one or two or three. Yep. Um, but they're definitely uh, diehard turkey hunters. This is starting to become a thing mm-hmm. that are trying to do the 49-state, you know, turkey slam yeah. i don't know if that's even a slam it's way more than a slam but that's way more exciting to me than the grand slam or the or the world slam yeah because it's called the the u.s slam right is that what it is yeah yeah i didn't know yeah so the u.s slam i think we should start thinking about that we should start we should make a pact right now that we're gonna do it that we should, oh yeah i mean that'd be great it's gonna <laughs> be great it's <laughs> packed we made that was a non-committal uh <laughs> pact 
That's fine. I mean, yeah. Like, yeah, count me in. <laughs> <laughs> we might we have to tell our wives first. Yeah. That's, our, I mean, 49 states. business venture. You know, and I've been, you know, a few of those states I've hunted in where they're like right now, the populations are super low. Like nice. Arkansas. I mean, that's mm-hmm. just tough hunting. Um, yeah. Yeah. yeah, the land of Clay Newcomb. Clay Newcomb killed one over the weekend. Yeah, Probably one less him. over there. Yeah, yeah, it's one less over there. Yeah, but yeah, that that's uh, it's becoming a thing. But do you have? Let's try to name our like top five. You could be the top five states that you want to hunt in that you haven't, or top five states you've hunted in. Uh, either one, like in your mind, can you rank? Let's start at five and go to one, low to high. I low can to, start at that. Okay, if, if you go need ahead. Some time to yeah. think about it. Because I was thinking about this over the weekend. I'm gonna go number f- number five, uh, Florida. Okay. Florida is. Have you ever hunted Florida? No. Nope. Number one, a lot of people hunt there. One because the seasons are earlier, right? So you can hunt in early March, mid March, and two, you can get yourself an Osceola, which is a subspecies that really you you don't have much. You don't have a chance to get anywhere else in the, in the in the U.S. Right. That I that I can think of or know of. So those are the generally two reasons, but. Again, man, Florida is just a kick-ass place to be, uh, especially in March when the weather, mm-hmm. the sp- spring is sprung, and Osceola's, in, in, at least in my opinion, ha- are a little bit more cagey, a little bit tougher than some of the other subspecies, definitely tougher than Amarium. So I'm going to put number five is going to be uh, Florida, number four, Oklahoma. You ever hunt in Oklahoma? Nope. I love that place. Oklahoma has is becoming one of the top turkey states, one of the most hunted turkey states in the country mm-hmm. here recently. It's kind of a, a trendy spot to hunt if you're a turkey guy. Um, they're everywhere. And it's it's not really as much of the culture as it is in places like Florida or places like Texas, but it's an up-and-comer. So Oklahoma, number three is South Dakota. That's It's got to be your – it's going to be on your list oh, yeah, for sure. The Black Hills are an amazing mm-hmm. place to hunt turkeys. Yep. Not, not only the terrain, but the conservation story, just everything about particularly the Black Hills. But I've also hunted them in the central portion of the state, in the plains, uh, places like the Rosebud uh, Reservation. And so I've always had good luck in, in South Dakota. So that's going to be on my list. Uh, I might surprise some people with number two, but I had a kick-ass hunt in Oregon. I feel like especially eastern Oregon mm-hmm. is a wonderful place to hunt turkeys. Um, again, you can do it a little bit later in the year. So if you're trying to schedule out your turkey year and the number one is Texas, Texas is, yep. I understand our public land friends, public land tees might not agree with, with my Texas is number one, oh. but <laughs> <laughs> the, the argument I'll make for Texas is that not a lot of Texans give two shits about a turkey. Mm-hmm. And they'll say, does it have antlers? And you say, no, they'll be like, we don't care. Yep. And so you can get a lot of access to a lot of big tracks uh, of ground or a lot of tracks in suburban areas that yep. are smaller but hold a lot of birds. And sure. there are, there's over half a million turkeys in the state of Texas. Uh, that's just a lot, that's a lot of turkeys. That's a lot of turkeys, man. And so there's a lot of turkeys and a lot of nice people. Probably biased because I just came back from there. But if you can find a way to get access to private ground there, which I think is abundant, in my opinion at least, um, then Texas becomes the top state because you can start in the southern region, hunt early, and then, you know, I was there this last weekend and it was opening day for for the northern part of the state. And so, uh, and you can go buy an over-the-counter license and you can get four tags. Yeah. Um, yep. And that's, so that, again, just, it's plentiful. It's a good place to be. So that's my list. Hopefully I helped you, Sam. I know I'm hitting you with this. Uh, no, that's no perfect. Prep. 
I'm going to no go the other at way. all. <laughs> okay. Knock it dead. So my favorite place that I've ever hunted turkeys was Tennessee. And mm. it was kind of a combo of things like just hunting, you know, big timber, hardwood stuff. But like the, the way it played out had um, like two days in a row mishaps, like screwed up on a bird. And then I had a bird at like 15 yards and had a bad shell and like, mm. you know, kind of like farted a look like a like a little <laughs> little shotgun shell like a, it was like yeah it was just like this kind of like lofted it out there and you know that one and then killed God, them i'm gonna start pranking people with that i if i could get <laughs> how that shell was created figure out how to find powder, a bad yeah. primer yeah just and, a, yeah just like some grass and a wad <laughs> and then the next day finally killed a bird but had to switch i'm left-handed had to switch to shoot right-handed and like like he was about to disappear over the rise and like just like domed them off the top. So that like this Tennessee was super fun. Yeah. Um, so is that five or one? That's, that's five. One. That's, that's one. one. I'm going to go okay, the other way. You're yeah. dropping it down. Okay. It's fine. And that's surprising. Two, surprising. I know. Yeah. Number two, South Dakota, uh, okay. grew up in South Dakota, like, you know, like have a blast hunting on the black Hills and stuff. Um, number three, trying to think like Nebraska, I think just because of the abundance and, yeah. uh, yeah. Yeah, lots of turkeys, callable tur- turkeys in certain areas. Um, you know, I had one hunt there a while back, like we, Buddy and I killed a bird. Uh, he killed the bird, but it was it was like nine degrees and we had six inches of fresh snow. So like watching a bird strut in, like in the middle of a snowstorm, that was pretty cool. Uh, let's see, that's three. Kansas is super fun. Yeah, yeah. Kansas. And mm-hmm. then Minnesota is a cool state nice. to hunt birds in. Yeah, the state of Donnie Vincent. He was up there shooting turkeys last year when I last yep. I talked to him. Yep. They're just smashing birds. Tony Peterson up there. Yep. Yeah, we talked to him last week. Um that's a sleeper, I feel like. Minnesota. Minnesota. Yeah. yeah. Not a lot of Minnesota. people talk about it, but there's uh certain parts of the state that have lots of birds. Yeah. I think yeah. they I feel like the, the the categories for me, the things I'm looking for is is abundance of turkeys, obviously. Uh and again, I think abundance of access is always there, but but a good structure for access. Mm-hmm. And my Texas thing is is a bit goes against that a little bit, but like I said, I just think that I just know that there's a lot of landowners down there that would let you hunt. They don't care. You, yeah, they don't care. They're like, man, there's no antlers on that turkey. They're in the backyard. And you hunt them. Yep. And then I think three is is how many tags you can get. You know how how much bang for your buck. Yeah. And that's that's limited in a lot of places. Mm-hmm. Um, and again. There's a few states where you have to draw for certain areas or for the entire state. Um, and so it's really, I've been, I just went in and bought uh, a general Wyoming tag, a general a Black Hills, South Dakota tag, got all my Montana tags as a resident, and then got two tags uh, on the Piney Ridges of, of Nebraska. Mm-hmm. And all of that stuff happened um, just over the counter, just sat down one night, boom, 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 got them done. And yep. so that turkeys, I think one of the reasons that, turkey hunting is so powerful to me because it is so accessible yeah. and you don't have to, I mean, you could plan a turkey tour in the Western United States three weeks before you left Yeah, and you would have now, plenty. Do you think that's going to shift a little bit in the years to come simply because of some of the regions in the States that have diminishing yeah. turkey populations and just, you know, the popularity yeah. of turkey hunting has gone up, especially the popularity of traveling to turkey hunt. Yes. And yeah. You know, and I think it's that, Yes, that accessibility is is always an issue, right? Look yeah. at Colorado elk. Yeah. I mean, if you start to look at how Colorado elk has has ebbed and flowed over the years, you would open it up to everybody, and then you you inevitably have to start closing off portions of it. Mm-hmm. You, know, you have to start taking those over the counter tags off, putting them in a lottery, or putting them in a in a point system. 
um, in a draw system. So I would say you're probably right about that. I, I think it'll take some time, I would guess, yep. to matriculate into that. Well, because I know scenario. even even states like Kansas for a while there it was a two state or a two bird state and then they went mm-hmm. to a one bird state just because yeah. of populations and um yeah yeah, yeah. It, i think it will become this is something that as turkey hunters and people that care about it and this goes back to our our recent conversation around Matt Rennell's article about R3 yep anti R3 is like how do we handle <laughs> we we can talk about that a little bit too yeah um how do we handle this because even this podcast where I'm mentioning I bought tags in this state, I bought tags in that state. This is mm-hmm. where I love to hunt. These yep. are my top states. I am making, I am actively understanding that by saying where I love to hunt, I'm other people will be, probably be there. Yep. And when the Black Hills are a pretty big place, but not that big. Not that big. Yeah. And so I, I, I know you probably run into this. All of us that have like voices in our industry have to think about it. Um, it's a catch 22 if there ever was one, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I try to, you know, like I try to generalize like regions that I hunt a lot. Um, (laughs) you know, and a lot of people ask what state I shot something in or whatever. And I, it's, you know, it's kind of a dick move. I'll be honest, but I typically respond with the state of happiness (laughs) (laughs) because, you know, like I think, yeah, in my, my personal opinion, I think everybody's going to have a higher quality hunt if they do a lot more of the footwork themselves, figuring out sure. locations, figuring out states, figuring out regions, whatever, whatever it may be. Like, I think you get mm-hmm. a lot more satisfaction out of a hunt. If you're not like, Oh, he hunted here. I'm going to go hunt here. Yeah. Yeah. That's just, that's just my personal opinion though. It's tough, man. But I just, you know, was just in Texas, met uh, a lovely couple, Greg and Casey. They let me hunt their property. They were awesome. I'd love to hunt with them as much as humanly possible. Greg is a, is a hardcore turkey hunter, and shout out to him. He had your uh, Public Land Tees sticker on his Yeti, and he, he was wearing the Gobbler shirt yes, that you guys made. that is awesome. I showed up in camp, dude. He yep. was rocking Public Land Tees hardcore. That's great. Um, but I liked him immediately when I saw that. He's like, I'm obsessed with turkeys. And <laughs> I think we – I got along with him. I don't know. He might not like me, but I enjoyed the shit out of him. Um he was doing uh, pretty much the exact same turkey tour that I'm doing nice. a couple weeks later, right? Yep. And so it just becomes like a part of the culture for people to travel and hit these states up and it is accessible. And so, yeah, man, at some point, the more hunters that are on a place, the more it has the opportunity to become a biological desert and and have pressure and even make the hunting experience for those that are residents or traveling non-residents all the more negative. Mm-hmm. Um, or all more unsuccessful, at least at least the chances for that. So I think it's the ultimate debate. It's the ultimate catch twenty two. Um, it's funny for us to be in this position. It makes me laugh because when I first got in the industry, it was like hunting numbers are falling. What are we gonna do? It's awful. Mm-hmm. We're oh my gosh! It's, and now we're we've we've shifted somehow into should we let more people in? Should we uh, recruit new people that aren't already a part of our networks? Uh, you know, I had, a, I had a buddy that made a good analogy, like the recruiting should never stop. Yeah. Like think of a championship team, whatever sport you recruited those players to come play there and you're not going to stop recruiting just because you won once. Yeah. <laughs> like it's yeah. a constant thing. Like you need, yes. you need this constant flow of people and like, you're going to have some that fizzle out and some that, you know, re come back in. But like, we can't just be like, oh, well, we're good. 
and then wait okay. for the next crash of of hunters yeah. to be thanks like, covid yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. our yeah. uh our system of of conservation depends on a rising tide mm-hmm. it just it depends on rising tide in more ways than i can count yep um often hunter there, there needs to be a hunter recruitment i think it should be r3 plus a uh and the a is approval you know we need sure. people to approve of hunting as a, as a thing that's good for society yep uh, and that's that's likely more important than the actual recruitment itself but the re- the recruitment isn't a zero sum game if you recruit a new hunter who's in a family of non-hunters and that person becomes a hardcore outdoorsman and they love it and they talk about it and that's all they post about and that's all that they do, chances are someone in their orbit is going to be drawn into that energy. Mm -hmm. And so that's how it works. It's not just that we are, we're starting new, there's, you know, new cracks in the surface that people can enter through. You know, there's, there's new gates that are opened by that. And I just, I, I have so much passion about hunting I built my life around it that I'm I'm unwilling to turn that off. I'm unwilling to turn yeah, that off. I agree. I, yeah. I will keep that going forever. And I'm, you know, uh our buddy Greg, I mentioned that's a big fan of public public land tees. I told him, I said, I'm gonna be up in those four states doing a turkey tour. I'll drop you some waypoints where I know birds are. You're coming up there too. I want to share that stuff with you. Mm-hmm. He shared his land in Texas. And so, you know, hunters are generally not apt to do that, but uh, I think you can on a relational level, right? I mean, yeah, yeah, I think you. I think at some point, like it's just important to be helping helping others out too. Yeah, man. Yeah. yeah, it really is. But again, it's it's a conversation that we have to have, especially around R three. Like it's gonna, the more that we have success with it, yeah, the more it's gonna become problematic. Yeah. And turkey and, hunting is a, is a good is a good example. Yeah, of that. and I honestly I, I do believe that COVID had like we're not going to know the repercussions that it had like on this space for a while for a while but yeah. like i mean just how it felt out hunting the last year like there were you know okay you take professional sports basically canceled mm-hmm. uh college sports basically canceled most high school sports basically canceled so you have all of these people who you know either used to or did limited amounts of hunting on just on the weekends and now they're working remote and like I mean, there's all these factors that go into it. And all of a sudden you have all of these people with all of this time that love to hunt, but may only get out five to 10 days a year total. And they have all this time they can go out. So like, you, you know, you definitely felt the the added pressure, you know, yeah. and then just looking at Wisconsin, like selling that many more turkey tags and all this different stuff. Um, I think it's going to be interesting to see how it shifts back. So like, you know, we've done all this R3 stuff over the last decade or however long, you know, like when it really started pushing and we have COVID hit and then you see this massive spike in, you know, people in your spots and people at the trailhead and all this, you know, it's all these crazy things. Like, is that going to maintain or like, how long is that going to take to shift back, you know, as more states start to open up hundred percent, people go back to work and sports come back and, yeah. you know, all of these other obligations yeah. that people have with family and all, you know, all these things. It'll be, yeah. I'm just curious to see how it all plays out right now. I would imagine that the coffer for, all the Pittman Robertson funds and all the state agencies have seen a massive increase in their budget. I hope the hell so. Yeah. They have, we've, we sold millions and millions of new guns mm-hmm. and, and ammo is at a shortage. Hundreds I of hope. millions of new rounds of ammunition. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I hope that that money, uh, it gets into that Pittman Robertson fund. And I, man, I've done a lot of studying on this and 
it gets divvied out based on at some percentage based on number of hunters mm-hmm. in a state, number of licenses sold in the state. There's a there's a very complicated equation that I can't I can't pull out of my uh, uh, jet lag brain right now. But there is there is an incentive to have more hunters to get the percentage of Pittman Robertson dollars state by state, yep. and that definitely happens. Yeah. To your point, I think the way I think about this is what I think we've done, what COVID has helped do, and what what I think of the youth movement specifically that you've led and, and our company here, Mediator, has been a part of is – and specifically I say that because I know the age demographic that listens to this show, and I know it's young. And so I think what we've done is raise the floor. I'm not too con- I'm not too worried about how high the ceiling is because I think the ceiling, as you mentioned there, is higher than it, it may be should be right now just because of COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, the important part is how many of these new hunters or new license um, holders from this last year can we keep, right? right. So that's the floor. The floor is how many of them do we keep year over year over year over year. That becomes our floor. So I think our floor has been raised to a level we're not real sure of right now. State state by state, we can look. Mm-hmm. But we've raised the floor, and I'm not too – not too concerned about the ceiling because I think that is the fluctuation, right? Yep. You, you may get a flood of new hunters for whatever reason, um, and the, and it's it's about that retain the retained part of that group. But I do think over the last couple of years we have raised the raised that floor to a to a. I don't know whether it's millions, but I was just reading an article the other day. I'll pull it up here so I get the numbers right from Pew Trusts about this exact thing. It's it's how do we retain these hunters? Michigan, it's a Michigan saw a 67% hike in new hunting license buyers this year compared, this is obviously 2020, compared to 2019, a 15% increase in female hunters and a moderate growth in many younger age brackets. The state also sold 46% more apprentice licenses, a discounted option that allows new hunters to give the sport a try under the supervision of a mentor. And then this is from Dustin Eisenhoff, who is the marketing specialist for the DNR. He said, we have over 100,000 new hunting customers this year. That's a big opportunity for us to work with, those fo- to keep those folks involved. Um, it, this says Nevada saw a 30% jump in hunting licenses. Um, Maine sold a record number of deer permits, 9% rise in hunting in that state. On and on and on we go. Yeah, We could, we could list off those numbers forever. But there's obviously an opportunity there, right? Mm-hmm. And there's there's an opportunity for us to have an interesting turkey season where we come back from our tour and be like, boy, that was intense. There were a lot of people. Yeah. <laughs> I've been thinking about that over the last couple of months. Like, what's the reaction going to be if we get out to the Black Hills and there's a hunter on every ridge? You know. Yeah. It's not a positive. It's not a positive reaction. I mean, I've definitely tried. To, I don't know how you think about it. I'd be interested to hear that. But I started thinking about it like turkeys, elk, deer. There's as much chance of hunters on the landscape is those animals like every time i see a hunter and i see a deer i try in my best uh version of myself to think about those things in the exact same way both are both of them are supposed to be there yep right both of them are going to be there yep um and it's helped the way that that uh i think a natural reaction to every hunter somebody's in your spot or a spot that you've worked hard to kind of cultivate there is a negative reaction there yeah Um, yeah no it's uh like last spring, I saw more people out hunting in spots that I've ever seen before. Um, and at first it was, you know, frustrating, like, because like you said, like, you, you know, you learn these areas and whatever, and 
like you hate to be hunting stuff that's super pressured, but at the same time, like I try to just keep it in my mind that all those people are out there doing exactly what I love to do and like more power to them. Now I think, yeah, I mean, we could talk about all this, the R, all the R3 stuff and like all the, mm-hmm. but I think in this, this might be, I have no science to back this up. <laughs> I don't know what hunter numbers are like as a whole, like if they're increasing, decreasing, maintaining, mm-hmm. But I think what is happening, and this has shifted a lot over the last 10 years, is because of social media, because of people like you and me talking about the importance of public lands and hunting on public land and and, uh, like just hunting in general and talking about our travels and, you know, the hunting public and whatever. I think the the few, the, the people that are hunting are hunting harder and hunting more species and hunting more locations than ever before. You know, yeah. think about, like, think about, you know, like every time, if I talk to my dad about growing up hunting, okay, he grew up in Wisconsin, he hunted Wisconsin and he would deer hunt for a week and he would duck hunt for a few weekends and he would turk, you know, whatever, like he'd, he'd do those things within the state close to home. He wasn't planning 50 days a year on the road, you know, and, and <laughs> yeah. hunting 10 different states and buying tags yeah. all over the place and putting in for all these hunts. Um, and so where it used to be like, you'd hunt small game and big game and upland whatever like kind of locally now it's shifted where you might have fewer hunters but they're all hunting more species more of the time in more places yeah yeah Yeah, i think social media certainly has added to that quite a lot i mean media across the board whether it's podcasts or social media but i think probably social media being the big change um and the big driver and like the kind of media people are consuming on a daily basis i mean you know what's more aspirational right right like and and we went through this with our company. We bought a 64-acre farm in Michigan and quickly yeah. figured out, like, that's great and all. But, boy, it's hard to tell a story about that in a, in a consistent fashion. Mark Kenny did a great job with that. But, again, it's just a different deal. Mm-hmm. Um, and so people, when people become content creators in the professional sense, you almost have to strike out, you know. Yeah. Um, no well, offense it's to any. It's because you're chasing new experiences all the time. Exactly. You know, that's exactly. that's all it comes down to. Exactly. No offense to like Lee and Tiffany and Akasi, they're awesome people, but they started off as whitetail hunters and their show now, if you watch, is is very, you know, Western big game heavy, big game heavy across the board. Yep. And I think that's just a a reaction to like, boy, we got to show a lot. We want to do different things and we got to show a lot of different things because we got a lot of, a lot of programs put together, yep. a lot of content we want to create. Yep. So I think it has... I guess the aspirational set of hunters, the people that are in the position to talk about it and show it, have kind of shifted that, I think, a lot. Yeah. And that's the, no different than Jim Shockey, you know, 10 years ago, yep. 15 years ago. It's not like it's it's, it's totally new. Um, but I think it's it's kind of proliferated, to your point, Definitely. in the last who knows how many years, five to seven years, yeah. for sure. Yeah. Um, and I'm, and I'm assuming some of that comes from the age demographic that has grown up with like this, you know more available media like you finally have enough money to go do these things and you're like i've been Mm -hmm. watching this for the last five or ten years like people hunting all over the place now i finally can afford it (laughs) yeah so yeah 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 i think it's it's an interesting that way i run into people all the time that are you know i ran into a couple last year and two years ago in bozeman that are just randomly book uh, booked a fire tower to stand for a week and they were going to elk hunt for the first time and they just they heard about it on a podcast. Well, you know, I don't think it was this one. It was some other podcast and they decided, well, we're just going to go and do that. Mm-hmm. I was like, man, that's aggressive. Yeah. I was like, hey, I was like <laughs> how, how, how long have you guys had a bow for? How long have you guys been been in the archery game? Ah, about six months. Yeah. It's like, Oof. You're going to find I mean, out. I never ran back into him. 
but I but that's a tough one. And yep. the fire tower they were going to was not a really great spot. Yeah. But there again, they're doing it, man. Mm-hmm. You know, they're out there doing it. They're inspired to do it, and they're going to learn that way. Yeah. Um. And and that I can get with. Uh, but it is, man. It's an entangled. We're in we're in this kind of entangled, sometimes real mucky situation where we're. Um, this most recent conversation about R3 is put right in the crosshairs, which is what do we do if hunting all of a sudden becomes the most popular thing on the street over the next five years? Yep. What do we do? Um, but, you know, that's not something that our model of conservation is is really built to address. No. I mean, at, at that point, I think there would be a lot of restrictions and then it, yep. it ends up all coming down to like if it explodes in that way, it would come down to, you know, really needing millions more acres of habitat put back into like wildlife habitat. Yeah. I mean, that's all there is yeah. to it. Taken yeah, out of production extra... and put back into, you know, yeah. managed habitat. Yeah. Cause, cause going back to that catch 22, the more hunters, the more funding conservation gets right. Just mm-hmm. on a flat level. And then as a point I saw you make and you did a takeover for NWTF, the point you were making there was like the more conservation group members there are, the bigger their clout is mm-hmm. politically and socially, right? The, the more attention comes to the issues around turkeys or elk, if it's RMEF or whatever it might be. And that's a great point. But I think also you have the catch-22 of the more hunters, the more dollars we get, right? License yep. sales, Pittman, Robertson, the American system of conservation funding is very much built to benefit from more hunters, right? So there's there's one side. Yep. But our, on the ecosystem level, from a wildlife management level, more hunters doesn't mean success. More hunters particularly means more pressure on landscapes, uh, more pressure on, on wildlife populations, um, the uh, dynamic that we're just, we're probably not ready for. Yeah. Um, and and well, most wildlife the, managers Because the, uh, the habitat can't keep up with the funding. Yes. Because it takes so much longer to, you know, to raise habitat than it does raise money. So. Exactly. Yeah. The habitat is not something you, you know, you can replace. And the yep. wildlife populations, again, while cyclical because of many factors, predator, prey, winter kill, things just happen in any ecosystem. That's a natural ebb and flow, but you have this third and very impactful thing is this hunter pressure. Yeah. Um, and, and I imagine if you would think about it this way, if you own a piece of property, they have this idea called block management, but let's just remove that for a second. If you if you own a piece of property and you were and you loved animals, you love watching them, hunting them, you love being around them, and you wanted your property to be a wildlife haven and to be a healthy ecosystem, and you cared a kind of on an ecosystem level of every little piece of it. Is there water? Is there cover? Mm-hmm. You know, trophic cascade. Is there a proper predator prey balance? And somebody came to you and said, hey, uh, the government will give you a subsidy if you allow hunter access. And they and the government also then says, people will sign, you can set some rules and people will sign a log, but you can't s- sit at the gate and approve each one and shake their hand and talk to them, right? Right. Would you do it if you only were talking about, if you didn't care about the money or the subsidies or, or the tax break you might get for that, would you do it if you just cared about the wildlife? I think the answer often is, Mm, it'd be sketchy. Right. It'd be tough. I mean, that would be a very hard decision to make. Yeah. Because opening that gate is the ultimate slippery slope argument. Yeah. Once you open that gate and people start coming through and the flow of people start coming through, you're kind of 
no longer in control yep. of the balance and the of the ecosystem. Yep. Especially if you've done all of the work to help those populations flourish, you know, just to open that up to, you know, stuff out of your control. Like it, it, it would yeah. be, it'd be a very hard decision to make. Yeah. And so there's the catch 22. And, and I think that in essence is what the kind of conversations we need to keep having, because there is no easy answer, right? Yeah. There's no easy answer to it. And it's not that as has been uh, stated in several articles in, re- in rebuttal to Matt Ranella's article, you're an asshole if you don't do this, or you're an asshole if you do this, or it's not that, man. People have to make their, you know, people have different sets, perspectives, and value systems, and they make their decisions based on that. And we have to have an an overall welcoming vibe in our community, but we also have to, when we let people in, go like, listen, you're coming in, you're coming into this complex, messy situation that has lots of factors not only on the state and national level, but on, on individual ecosystem levels. And so even when you step into a place where you've never hunted as like a transient hunter that's just looking for adventure, you have to understand, you know, you're buying your tag, you're doing your part, but you need to understand kind of the situation you're walking into the best you can. Right. You know? yep. That information isn't always available <laughs> to you yes. at the time. Yeah. So you feel like that covers off on that situation. I mean, it's been something that's been going through my head almost every night when I go to sleep because... Um, it's one of those deals where I understand all sides, yep. you know, when, yep. when it comes to how do we bring in new hunters, how many of them and what's the impact. Yeah. You know, and I had a big conversation a couple of years back with, uh, Randy Newberg, who's been, you know, mm. talking about public lands and hunter recruitment sure. and stuff for a long, long time. And I need to, I wish I knew the numbers exactly right off the top of my head, but he was talking about R3 and how we don't really have a recruitment problem all that bad. Because if you look at the numbers of people just coming out of hunter safety every year, something like 600,000 new hunter safety members, you know, with a hunter safety card every single year. And that's, I mean, that's a lot of individuals. And if you, the the problem is really the retention. So, you know, Mm -hmm. those younger people or whoever's doing it, like, especially the younger crowd, if they get hunter safety, they might hunt for a year or two, but a lot of times as other obligations happen, they kind of phase out. So it's hard to know which segment of r3 to really like put the marketing dollars towards and put the the funding towards to yeah like which part of that do you do like is it is it really do we really need to be focused on the recruitment or do we just need to talk about making sure that everybody who's currently doing it is re-upping their licenses every year and like keeping those people to keep the funding so I i don't know what the answer is but you could we could talk for Hours and yeah. hours and hours. You'd have to it. break it down, man. I think yep. one thing that's important to break down here, though, and I think a lot of people might, if you if you stop and think, this will be maybe applied to you. Is is what happens is if you bring in a young hunter, right? You, I like me, or probably you. There's a, a very small subset of hunters. Once you become 18, you kind of go out of your parents' home and you go out into the real world. Let's say you go to college. You're in a new place don't have a lot of money now you don't have your own you don't have your parents to take you and pay for the ammo and pay for the guns and pay for all the things that it that it takes the tags the licenses you have college you have classes you have new friends you have parties you have whatever whatever things that you do socially your life changes this happened to me your life changes in a way that doesn't support hunting in almost any facet mm-hmm. right it doesn't for financially you're not supported um, socially, you're probably not supported because you're being transported into some new place yep. without your friends around, without your social structure around. And so I think one of the things that I love the most, I know NWTF does this and, and BHA does this, is college chapters 
specifically at universities yep. and state colleges around the country. Because I think, I know for a fact, that we're probably going to retain emergent hunters that, that start hunting when they're adults at a way higher rate than, than people that start hunting when they're 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 years old. Mm-hmm. It, just, it just is what it is. That happened to me. I don't know if it happened to you, but it definitely happened to me um, because your focus shifts and your support shifts at that time in your life. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it didn't happen that way for me. Just I, if anything, I hunted harder when I got to college. Uh, <laughs> well, that's like, I, I, I know a lot of people, no offense to, to like people like me, but I know a lot of people that got to college and went harder because they were free yep. <laughs> and the, the school thing didn't go as well yep. <laughs> for them. But that they're definitely, I mean, I said in Bozeman, we have hunting, fishing university mm-hmm. right down the street. Like yeah. it's, you know, that's what it is. Yep. So, so, but I was also fortunate to go to college somewhere where hunting access yes. was readily available. So that's a different, yes. you know, yeah. Yeah, a lot of the major colleges are in in major cities or major urban areas. Yep. So again, I don't have numbers on this, but I just um, that is one of the vulnerable points. Yes, in a definitely. Life. Yep. So it'd be nice to understand like what are the vulnerable points in retainment. One of them, I think, is is people having kids, young children, mm-hmm. like I have, and I think one of the vulnerable points in re- in retention is I say retainment. That's not even a word. I don't think. <laughs> And retention. I've been saying that I feel like for this whole podcast. Yeah. Retention is uh is exactly that. Like what well, what are the weak points in, in somebody's life? Not weak, but what are the points in somebody's life where, where things shift and you can find ways to keep people involved in their hunting in the hunting community locally yep. um to support them during those times. Yep. And because again, what you, you you know, you lose your hunting social structure and you may never go again. So uh, I feel like we've we've covered off on that. We could talk about that forever. Yeah. Um, but we need to talk about your new conservation initiative. And I'm gonna shout. I'm gonna heap praise upon you. You ready for it? Yes. You're gonna feel. I appreciate blush. it ahead of time. You might blush. I'm well, pr- thanks yeah. for appreciating it ahead of time. You don't know what it's gonna be. Um, I just feel, man. Here's what I'll say it this way. Our generation, me and you. And I, I, I've, we've said this probably on the show before. I think it's fun. It's been fun for me to track along with you and others in kind of a, a generational way, like friends in the in the hunting space that are able to track along in our lives and see how things change over time. Right? We're we're part of. I feel like a a, a brotherhood and like a bond of people that are just you know we're seeing it in real time. But one of the things I think is important for that is people are being innovative. And, and not giving a shit about the way it's done now or the way it has been done. And I think what you're doing with Public Land Tees with your brother Josh is is one of those things. And maybe kind of the, the a stark example of relentless innovation. Innovation in a way that like not only innovation, t-shirts are not an innovation. I'm, I don't nope. think I'm breaking nope, any news for you. But the way in which you guys are moving through the conservation space and coming up with ideas that are not only pushing – you know, people that that buy your T-shirts, but also the conservation organizations themselves, to to appreciate and pursue their own innovation around all the things we were just talking about: how we get people in, how we get more members. Uh, so kudos to you for that. And I think um, I don't think you're going to stop innovating, but but this particular thing you're doing right now, I think is 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 a great example of the innovation that you've that you've had since you started building a bus. Some years back, <laughs> or maybe in your head prior to that. Um, so there's my compliment. Now you're going to tell people why I'm complimenting you. Well, thank you for that. Um, yeah, I th- you know, it's it's been fun to for Josh and I to like 
kind of as we grow the company, you know, and as, as, as we're able to sell more merchandise, the more money we raise for conservation. But yeah. it's been fun to come up with, try to come up with different ideas and, and do some things that aren't done in those spaces and try to, you know, we're both, he owned a business, we own this business together. We were both business majors in college. So it's been kind of fun to like bring a different approach the business side approach to conservation to figure out ways, other ways to raise money other than banquets and <clears throat> other fundraisers and stuff like that. So, but yeah, this new initiative is called Conservation Crossing. And it is a collaboration between us at Public Land Tees and five conservation organizations, where if you buy a single Conservation Crossing t-shirt, you become a member of Backcountry Hunters and Anglers, Delta Waterfowl, the Mule Deer Foundation, National Wild Turkey Federation, and pheasants forever, all for 125 bucks. So typically a membership for each of those organizations is about $35. So that's 175 and then t-shirts 25. So it's a little, about a $200 value for 125 bucks. And you buy the shirt, we take care of the rest. So we ship you the shirt and the matching decal for the conservation crossing side of things. And then we get all of the info, all of your information to the conservation groups. And then mm-hmm. they will send you your member packets, your membership card, your decals, and all like, you know, the magazines and everything else that goes along with being a member of any of those groups. One of the other things I'll say is, is I have all kinds of crazy ideas. <laughs> <laughs> and it is, it's one thing to have an idea. It's, one thing, it's the other thing to make it come to fruition like you guys have here. And again, to make it easier for somebody to understand the value of joining multiple organizations. You know, I have to sit back and listen to like all of the, I get a lot of magazines that come in the mail mm-hmm. and my wife piles them at my desk. And that's kind of how I track the, the organizations I'm a members, I'm a, I have membership in. And again, like everybody getting to the point where you appreciate it enough that you want to become a life member, because I think that's the thing that, that folks should be pushing towards. Yeah. But you got to get in the door first, right? Right. Yep. Yeah. And it's whether it's through something like this or just in general, but again, there isn't another way that I know of to join multiple organizations like this. Not that with I don't think there action. is one. Yeah. 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 Well, you should do it. I don't know why it, uh, you got to get the rest of the organizations involved. If you need me to kick them in the, kick them in the ass and get them in on this, I can. Yeah. This was just, uh, you know, round one. So I think conservation <laughs> crossing will continue to evolve and grow and we'll figure out, um, you know, which organizations we can add and how to do that and how to scale it. Like how do we, uh, yeah. how do we make that a thing? So I think it's just the beginning for this whole project, but yeah, I just uh, launched it a week ago and it's been going great so far. I've raised a ton of money for all of the organizations and just going to keep letting it cook and keep, you know, every, every single shirt we sell is, you know, that's one more member for each five of those organizations. So yeah, it's um, huge. Again, like we were, we were saying earlier in the show and we'll continue to say, um, these 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 organizations are hurting, especially ones that are really relying on the in person banquets. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's 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 a struggle, man. Have you found out some specific numbers or anything you'd like to share from these some of these groups in regards to to where they are? Yeah, I didn't get actual numbers on like how many members they lost over the last year because of you know the lack of banquets and that type of stuff. But I mean, collectively, it is millions and millions of dollars that did yeah. not come in simply because the you know both local and national chapters could not have these events that they rely on now mm. i think going forward it will be beneficial in the long run because it probably forced a lot of these organizations to learn how to do a lot of stuff online 
And now going forward, they're going to be able to do both as states yeah. open back up, you know, and after the pandemic, you know, you'll be able to have in-person and virtual events. And I think that'll, that'll be a big thing going forward, but man, like in a yeah. single year, the loss was catastrophic. So it, it's, uh, yeah, it really was, yeah, this, this was, you know, this whole initiative was also just a way to try to help them out as, you know, as much as we can and, and really just shine a light on all of the work that they do. So the last week I did takeovers for each of the organizations through the public land tease page. And I think starting tomorrow, I'm going to do it on my personal page, just kind of like go back through each organization and talk about like the membership benefits, what those organizations are really about, uh, how much your membership means to those organizations and why you should be, even if it's not yeah. buying our shirt and becoming a member of all five, why you should be involved at some level. Yeah. And I would say on a on a personal level, on a, even a selfish level, if you want to put it this way, you are you become a member of this organization any of these organizations, BHA, I definitely know for sure. You you now have access to, whether you use it or not, a local, state, and even regional group of people, If it, whether you're a new hunter or a veteran, that you can now go to and, and be a part of, mm-hmm. right? There's, yep. st- we, you know, even this podcast has its own state chapters. Um, and that's, I think that kind of community, that communal response to conservation is as cool uh, as anything, yeah, and it, as useful for your twenty five dollars or whatever, how much, how many ever, well, you know, hundred twenty five dollars in this case to join a bunch of organizations, you're able then to to pull in, immediately pull in a community of people that care about what you care about. Yeah. Immediately, yeah, Whether I would say that's one of the ducks. most powerful tools is just being connected to all the the people yeah. in your local area. And I would pay twenty five bucks just to be just to have that, you know, access to yeah. that community and understanding. Because there used to be hunting clubs when I was a kid. My dad belonged to mm-hmm. a hunting club. And it was it was kind of about access to ground, but it was also about access to, uh, you know, a bar somewhere in the middle right. of nowhere yeah. where a bunch of people hung yep. out that, that did the same thing you did. Yep. So this is this is it. People don't forget about not only are you giving, but there, you have the opportunity to get a ton back. Yep. Uh, yeah. But you just have to go out and be active in that. Yeah. I was actually, I mean, I've been a member of a lot of groups for a long time now, but I I'll be honest, I didn't do a lot of like a big deep dive into all of each organization's membership benefits. You know, you get the member card and you get the decal and you, you know, you're a member, but man, most of them offer discounts to their partners, like, you know, like big companies like, uh, like BHA, you know, you get a discount on First Light and Filson and, uh, Vortex and different stuff. So, I mean, just like, that's one example, but all of them do it. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's been fun to really take a deep dive into what each of these groups is doing, uh, to help protect I mean, collectively, like hunting heritage for the future. Really? Yeah. And to your point earlier, I I remember talking to Lan Tawney about, I was on a committee for BHA about the rendezvous last year. We did a virtual rendezvous. Mm -hmm. I hosted a lot of events. It was was fun, man. Fun, fun time. And we had the exact conversation that, you know, what you just mentioned. I said to him, listen, this is going to be hard to do, to to scramble together. We're going to lose a lot of money not having an in-person rendezvous. It's going to hurt. It's like a gut punch right now. Mm-hmm. But what we're going to be doing, we'll be tougher next time. And we're going, to be, we're going to have modernized. And we're going to find new ways to innovate, find new ways to get people together. And I remember having that virtual rendezvous and thinking, man, that was cool as hell. We should be doing that every single time. And, uh, and I'm sure, sure we will be. Yep. Um, and so, again, to, to your point, innovation in, in, our, in the conservation space has been rare, you know, relatively rare. There was like a, a bunch of established ways to get people together. Banquets, as we mentioned, is one of them. Uh, conventions yep. is another one. And when those things get wiped off the map, I've seen 
Wild Sheep had an awesome uh, digital yeah. convention here recently. Yep. Uh, SEI has been doing some good stuff. And so we've seen, you know, we I guess you could call it modernizing some of the, the ways we gather yep. um, when we couldn't gather in person. So uh, I think that's another big wave coming here. Yeah. Uh, it connects to what you're doing for sure. Yeah, definitely. Uh, all right, man. Well, I appreciate you as always. Uh, thank you for joining our pact to, to come to, to hunt with us this year mm-hmm. on the turkey tour. Yep. You've promised. <laughs> I promised. On the podcast. <laughs> Don't let the listeners down. Um, as you can tell, I just need to like convince Sam that it, this is top priority to come hunt with me. Yeah. I'll, then, I'll make it happen. It's top priority. I'll be there. Um, either way, good luck this season. It's Thank turkey you. season. There's nothing anybody can do to bring me down. No. I am so hot right now. <laughs> I have two turkeys in the bag. I just, there's nothing. I'm just floating on the cloud. That's good. Floating on the cloud. That's good. Yeah. Okay. All right, Sam. So Holt. thank you, sir. Hey, thank you. Appreciate it. All right. Tell everybody one last time where they can go to get themselves a t-shirt. Go to publiclandtees.com. It is the first item on the page, the Conservation Crossing Tee. You can't miss it. Uh, there's more information about it there. So yeah, go join all five organizations right now. That's all I can say. Yeah, it's got a bear. Is that grizzly bear? Grizzly bear, yep. mule deer, wild turkey, pheasant, mallard duck. That's right. Bam. Yep. Do it. Do it. That's it. That's all. Thank you to Samuel Soholt and his brother Josh Soholt. Public Land Tees, publiclandtees.com, Public Land Tees on all the social medias. A really cool thing that they've been doing uh, pretty much constantly. But this this particular program is as cool as anything they've done thus far. So if you have $125 and you want to support it, please do. Uh, it's important to, to keep folks like Sam in our industry working, being innovative around how to get people to think about conservation. Um, and I'll tell you, he's just all around good dude regardless. So support Sam and his brother Josh and all that they do. If you don't mind, we thank you. Uh, so Phil, yeah, we are roughly a month away from your hunt. A lot of people were at, like you said earlier in the show, a lot of people were asking about it. Where's Phil? Is he hunting with you? I'm going to go. I'm leaving uh, Saturday to go on a two-week-long turkey tour again without you. Yep. Just, I just <laughs> want people to understand that Phil and I have scheduled our hunt for the first week of May. And, and that every time Will you I see have me, fired a gun by then? Nobody knows. Nobody Tune knows. in to find out. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I'm leaving uh, on a jet plane. Uh, and I'm going to go a two-week turkey tour with the folks at First Light, Ford Van Fossen, Kevin Harlander, our friends at First Light. Ooh. We're it's an all-star go, crew. It's an all-star crew. So the NWTF is on board with our two-week-long turkey tour. We're calling it uh, the Trek for Turks. Mm. or turkey telethon um stick in you're going to be pretty soon you're going to be hearing a lot of details we'll talk about it next week obviously on the show a lot of details on how our trek for turks is going to raise money for the nwtf we've mentioned on the show prior and we've had a lot of fun with cameo about the fact that we needed to raise money for the nwtf banquet season is going to be sketchy this there's a lot of people getting vaccinated so maybe there is a more robust banquet season than we we thought earlier in the year but the the lack of of large gatherings is is hurting turkey conservation in a way that um, is very serious. So part of my two week I don't want to want to break all the news. I'll let First Light do it. But part of the 
two-week turkey tour is basically a telethon. We're going to be cranking out content while we're in the field, throwing stuff on Instagram, asking people to go to First Light's website and sign up to be a member uh, for some awesome benefits exclusive to signing up on the First Light website. So all that's coming. I'm excited about that. So just so everybody knows the schedule, two weeks of meat turkey hunting, sans fill, which means no fill, unless he just shows up in camp without fill. Yes. And then somewhere around the first week of May, Phil and I will, we will be in the field. And then we will have taken um, our Weatherby 18i out and we will have put some work in with it. Okay? You good? I'm great. Anything else you want to say? No. How, how have you been? I haven't seen you in a while. I'm good. You feel good? Feel healthy? Do I look healthy? Yeah, I told you you look great. All right, thanks. Uh, no, I feel good. Go I feel on. healthy. I've had a little long COVID symptoms, I've been telling people. Uh, oh really? Yeah, been having that. Yep, little ringing in the ears, fatigue. It's not Jeez, fun, man. You got hit. I got hit. It sucks. It's not fun. Uh, but beyond that, family's good. It's spring, turkey season. I'm telling you, dude, you couldn't. You could tell me anything, and it wouldn't ruin my mood right now. You could, literally anything, and I'd say that's fine. <laughs> Can I turkey hunt? Because <laughs> I look back to last year. We look back to last year. Turkey hunting basically got canceled. Pretty much, Remember? yeah. We're sitting around. They're like, oh, they canceled in South Dakota. Oh, they canceled in Nebraska. Oh, they canceled it here. And I didn't kill a turkey. And now that I'm two turkeys deep, I spent the morning with my, my son talking about what a turkey breast is and a turkey tender and a turkey thigh and a turkey leg. And I was flying around, shooting turkeys in the face. It is. Uh, it feels good to be back. And I feel inspired, Phil, as always. So you wanna? what do you want to say before we go? Let's not drag this out. I don't have anything to say. You could just say bye. I beat Dark Souls 3 last night, Ben. Nope. nope. Say bye. It's a pretty tough game. <laughs> no, I, was, I was proud of myself. Nobody wants now to hear I've that. Beat, I've beaten four of the, the Soulsborne nope. games. You haven't. Uh, directed by Hidetaka Miyazaki. Directed by? It's a video game. Dude. How, how, how does you anybody have, do you have so You have so much to learn. <laughs> how, how does it... <laughs> This is a co-mentor. It's a mentor-mentor relationship. <laughs> anyway, how, I've beaten how do you Bloodborne, direct a video game? Sekiro, Dark Souls 3, and the Demon's Souls How remake. do you direct a video game? It's, it's deterministic. There are, first of all, video games, so many different art forms and, and disciplines come into one product. There's, cin- there's cinematics, there's game design, cinematics. there's programming, coding, arts, art direction. All these things have to come together to form a cohesive product. It doesn't always go well. But when it does, you can thank the director of the video game. The director? I think you would come up with a different... That's fine. Take the title of director. My title at Mediator is director of hunting. I've never directed a hunt in my life. So I guess the, I guess, uh, the fellow you just Strip named, your title then. Yeah, strip my title. No. Anyway, I'm, I, I, got, I got the first dose of the Pfizer vaccine a couple oh, you weeks did? ago. Yeah, I'm two weeks in. All feeling, right. Feeling good. You feeling okay? Getting, getting that second dose next week. Yeah. All right. Feeling buddy. great. All right. Phil's vaccinated. We're moving on next week. More turkeys. More fun. We're trying to recruit Robert C. Jones come back. Talk about more vegan vegan stuff. Please do. But really right now, all we're thinking about is turkeys. Um, so if you want to write in thcthmedia.com, it better be about turkeys. That's all we're going to read for the next two months. I'm going to try to get 10, by the way. Think I can get it? Yes. So I got I got two in a bag. I got six. Dude, you're, you're going on a turkey tour. I got Honestly, s- I'll, be mad. I'll be mad if you don't get well, 10. Well, if I could just shoot 10 and it wasn't like legal... Illy, you know, I, was like, I would just shoot 10. So it's a numbers thing at this point. I got two turkeys in the bag. Uh-huh. 
possibly seven tags on this turkey tour. But right now, I purchased only six. I could, I think, I could buy another one in Nebraska. Have you ever gotten ten? No, I've only. Ever What's gotten the most you've ever got? Seven, I think. Oh, right. okay. But I never started with. I've never. Well, I guess I've probably had two this early before. I definitely have. But this is. I just feel like I gotta. I just. It's, I gotta have it. I gotta do it. The turkey meat will sustain my family, and if you know, God forbid, society crumbles in the next six eight months, we'll be living off turk. You can come over, bring your turkey meat. We'll commune. Yeah, we'll have it. Great. So everybody, root for me. I got. I can get up to six, up to seven on this turkey tour. So it's possible by around eight, April twenty fourth, I'll have nine, and then it's just like, then we're just sweeping it in. Then we're just doing it. Then we're living it, just sailing right in. So. um Everybody think about that when you go to sleep tonight. Say bye, Phil. Goodbye. Bye. Clean your gun and tune your bow. We're the Hunt Collective Show. Calling hunters new and old. The Hunt Collective Show. Working pick and shovel or working pen in hand. We congregate now as lovers of the land. Mindful and we're focused. We're just living for the search. Dreaming of a fire and a salty Gilbert. But we ain't cold and late taking it slow so we can shoot straight clean your gun tune your bow we're the hunting collective show calling hunters new